You've done it before. Hello, everyone. I'm Trent Luce. Welcome to another edition of Rural Routes, the program where we gather every day at this time. Well, we do it Monday through Friday anyway. And what is it that we do? We work at Connecting Rural and Urban America, which is ultimately the topic today. It's supposed to be the topic every Thursday. and We've done pretty good for coming on two months because coming to us from central Illinois, Jenny Schweigert. Hey, how are you this morning? I'm feeling jealous. Why? Because Rich Kane, weatherman, Quincy, Illinois, never comments on my show. You come on one time, and Rich oh, Kane's like, time? "Oh, one time." That's actually no. been like the second time he and I have connected. Yeah, <laughs> I know. I I see your mo, Rich Kane. I know what you're doing. Just do the weather, okay? Get the weather better. Get. I'm ready for fall. Can you bring fall in, Rich Kane? Hey, speaking. Forget about Rich Kane. You brought us another beautiful guest. Who do you got? What do you got going on here today? So I have another Illinoisan. Um, you know, there are 49 other states. We don't have to every <laughs> single week bring somebody from <laughs> Illinois. I know, but there's just so many awesome people from Illinois. <laughs> well, this is Liz you, Nyman. Okay, just before we get to Liz Nyman, I have to say I'm picking on you for bringing Illinois every week. Last week, I picked the guest, Olivia Rudolph. And oh, where true, was she from? Illinois. <laughs> Illinois. Thank you. Hi, Liz. Okay. How are you? Hi. Hi, folks. So Not too bad. Liz, Liz, so a little background. Trent is also a native of Illinois. Or what do, we, what do we call those? Uh, <laughs> Illinois refugees, I believe. Yes. Oh, okay. Yes. Yeah, I think that's right. Yeah. Yeah. No, I left probably in, doing much better in Nebraska. I left in uh, 1989. I saw the writing on the wall. I was just a trailblazer. There we go. I like it. Oh, even when I was living in uh, the state of Virginia, uh, I lovingly referred to myself as an Illinois refugee. Really? Oh, yeah. And, you know, I get a kick out of it because, like, um, I, you know, a state like Virginia, they, they are – I'm not going to paint it as a perfect state. Obviously, I moved. Um, but I, <laughs> you did leave. I did leave. Uh, but, and came back. And I came back to Illinois. I, but I know for, for a lot of them, whenever I describe like, oh, I being like so impressed by really basic stuff on how well the government is run. Mm-hmm. Uh, they, I'd get such looks on like, you know, is she, does she have an agenda or something? And I'm like, <laughs> in this particular case, uh, if there was something that could kinda. unite, kind of, I, I, I truly do believe, like, if there's something that could unite a uh, your everyday Illinois Democrat and your everyday Illinois Republican, it is that uh, the government <laughs> is woefully, uh, uh, terribly run. Uh, and and truly, like, I, I have I have dear friends uh, in Chicago. They're not well connected. They're not fancy. They still don't like the government. <laughs> yeah. And so I I think that, it, and I, I think I only bring that up because, like, I am deep in red territory, red for cardinals, red for right. Republicans. So, yeah. hey, can I just, I don't want to take us off track here, but yeah. uh, I drove through St. Louis at about eight o'clock on Tuesday evening, just at the beginning of dark. And I don't follow any sort of professional sports at all anymore. I just choose not to pay attention to overpaid crybabies, but that's another story. There we go. <laughs> it is a little eerie to be driving past Bush Stadium, all the lights on, knowing that the Missouri 
fight showdown is on. Kansas City Royals playing the St. Louis Cardinals. You, you can't be alive and not know that's happening. And you can see through into the stadium when you're driving on, on Highway 64. I guess it's Interstate 64. Nobody in the stands. That's mm. weird. It it is it, it's freaky. I'm over here thinking of like um because I did live in St. Louis for a couple of years and I lived uh in what's uh known as uh Marine Villa, where it's practically right next to Soulard, which is like party central uh for St. Louis, especially during a Cardinals game. And I remember I still have like clear memories driving home from work and going past Bush Stadium and seeing the golf carts everywhere, right. especially in Soulard. I love that about St. Louis, the golf carts. So I happen to have a friend that owns some other unnamed team that maybe calls Chicago home. <laughs> uh, and I'm going to ask him because it dawned on me, they're playing all of these professional athletics without anybody in the stands, and yet they're going to mm-hmm. pay the players millions and bazillions of dollars. How do they fund that this year? Who's paying that salary? Ah. Uh, I don't I was gonna know. Ask the same well, ultimately, I see professional athletes as uh, as entertainers, and mm-hmm. especially in this current age, a lot of entertainment is delivered digitally. Uh, pretty much anyone who has access, in, in my opinion, to ESPN, they have the American they have American sports. Period, and I'm assuming that a good chunk at this point of revenue they have to depend on that. I don't think they're getting the same sort of revenue that they usually get. You can only get so much from merchandise, from digital media. There's right. still like that uh, in-person experience. I'd actually really like to see the data on that. Like what's they've got to be losing something, mm-hmm. but yeah. I don't know how much you still have to like do a pro and con of like, okay, I don't, I don't really want to pay this guy this much this year, but I'm holding on hoping that I still retain him for the next year when things are normal again. I don't know. I think that you're spot on, and this is going to lead me into the comment that Diane Sullivan brings to us from Boston, and that is that if if nothing else happened in 2020, which is a lot happened, but I, I think it brought a, a real sense of awareness to the American conscious. 330 million strong. No matter how diehard of a Cardinal fan you are, August 27th, 2020, you realize they're really not relevant. They're entertainers. And we don't need them. We enjoy them. I think that that, that's not like a revelation or anything. I think that. Oh, I think it is. For the rest of society, maybe. I've felt like that what was the movie with tom hanks and roseanne or a league of their own yes thank you i mean that right there is a perfect example of you know keeping people together because of the entertainment factor Mm. and i said all along this spring you know the baseball could be a huge uniter for our country and i don't know whether that's happening or not, especially, I guess there were some teams that decided not to play yesterday or something. I'm not quite Mm -hmm. sure what was going on, but um, I don't know. We're excited that they're playing. It's given us something Mm -hmm. to watch and look forward to every day. Yeah, not me. Liz, you want to weigh in on that before we move (laughs) to the real connector? I I do admit, 
Oh yeah. I, I, I admit I am not as big into sports as I think uh, most Americans. I'm mostly a hockey sort of person. I do. Admit. Oh my and goodness. They, yeah. I don't know. Um, I, 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 I do love some con- contact sports. I don't know why I never got into the NFL. Like my introduction to football was like just doing concession stands in high school Right. And there we go. I was like, get me out. I'm, <laughs> but, um, the hockey, I do love it. Um, and I just know it's been kind of like all over the place. I can, I like being there. I like being part of the community. That's nice. Um, one of my favorite, uh, Twitter accounts is the Pens Knitting Lady. She's got a season pass to the Pittsburgh Penguins and she's on the sidelines, like right next to the glass. She's always knitting. And I love that. At the, oh, game. Got- at the game. At the game. Oh, she's gotten she's gotten flack for knitting. And she's over here like, I know more about hockey than you. She can she can deliver. She knows more about hockey than most, you know, your your regular fans. She's a season pass holder, so she's over here like, I spent my money, I can do whatever the hell I want with my money. <laughs> uh, I'm, like, gonna, I'm gonna guess if she's knitting at a game, she's not a millennial. Uh, oh no, she she's on the older end. I also find it interesting. She is she's a network admin, so she's a techie. That's her day job. I'm over here like that's how you can afford a season pass. Um, <laughs> but like I I'm also a knitter, just like her. And also I got my knitting tradition also from that part of Pennsylvania. It's very Scotch Irish, mm. and I just especially on the Scotch. Scotch part, um, but um, I but like oh, she was yeah. regal involved in that statement. I think just a little. I <laughs> uh, but I uh, I'm over here like yeah she's my lady. I like her. I, I if if I had uh, if I had her salary, uh, I too would be knitting at a Pens game. Totally would, yeah. and I'd be enjoying every minute of it. There we go. All right. We have to do this. It is that time of the day where I say we have completed our first leg of the journey. Jenny Schweigert, Liz Nyman joining us. And I happen to be in Illinois at the moment, so it's an all-Illinois day. We <laughs> it is. I want to remind you about Lone Creek Cattle Company and the opportunity to be a part of the certified Piedmontese system. That's what we choose to do with our beef cattle, and it's all about tenderness. The consumer is willing to pay for known quantities of quality, and in this case, it's tender. How much does it take to chew your steak? That's the question. You, the cattleman, get more tender for your bank account. It's all working good. It's a win-win-win. Everybody wins. If you get more details at Lone Creek Cattle Company from Marlin Will, you too will want to be a part of the certified Piedmontese system. It's all about the breed of cattle that originated from Italy. Now we call them Americanized Piedmontese. More roll route after this. Welcome back to Roll Route. Trent Loose alongside... Two Illinois ladies, Jenny and Liz. Uh, we did not talk about anything we thought we would talk about in the first segment, Jenny. You surely had a plan because I got something pretty serious I think we need to talk about, but I didn't want to override. Who, whose dog wants to be on the show? It's not, um, yesterday was National Dog Day. For once, that it's not one of my George. <laughs> Oh, George. George. Is he the new George. guy? No. No. Oh, okay. I'm no. still getting to know all the dogs. He's the Sheltie that mm-hmm. we can't get to stop barking, but we also can't get to a vet because he wants to bite everybody. Ah, and fantastic. So I 
think if we did the old snip snip, we would not have such a big problem. Ah, uh, yeah. So, mm-hmm. yeah. So George says hi to everybody. Yeah. Hi, um, so Liz spent quite a bit of time out on the East Coast and mm-hmm. has now just recently moved back to Illinois. And my questions for her, I guess, are more to give you perspective Trent and the audience perspective um, on what it looks like between the East coast and the Midwest when it comes to food and buying decisions and things Mm -hmm. like that. Mm -hmm. So one of my first questions, and I'm sure we've probably talked about this, you know, just in passing or on a call or something. um, But what is it that makes you buy food and what types of food? Hunger. Mm -hmm. True. Yeah. <laughs> Other than the obvious. <laughs> Just stating I, the obvious. Go ahead. I'm actually kind of curious, Trent. Are you more of like a live to eat or eat to live sort of person? Uh, I'm in the middle. Okay. All right. That's fair. Most of us are on the spectrum. I yeah. I, I admit, like, I, I, I'm more of a live to eat sort of person. I, I guess some people would describe me as a foodie. Uh, I... But uh, there we go. I love food. So I, one of the first things I know, like when I first moved to Virginia, was noticing the food situation. Uh, so like, honestly, I, I remember first moving out there and being like kind of spoiled by St. Louis's food scene. One of the things I do love about the St. Louis restaurant scene is that you can be it really into like, different stuff, different flavors, trying new things. And compared to a lot of American cities, it's really cheap. Um, And they also have a very strong refugee tradition. So you've got a lot of these different flavors from around the world coming in. Uh, I remember uh, Lana's Little Eats in Fox Park in St. Louis. Fantastic place. Um, She's got this... um, Southeast Asian tradition. It's like a, she's, she borrows from like Korean. She borrows from uh, Thai. She borrows from Vietnamese. I forget exactly which ethnicity she is. I just know her food's amazing. <laughs> and uh, she will take essentially, I, I don't know if you've ever had a uh, summer roll uh, in an Asian restaurant. So. Mm-hmm. so it's like, a, think of it as like a tiny little burrito with uh, made of like soft rice paper and you stuff it with like lettuce and meat, a bunch of other stuff. It's very fresh. Um, it's a bit like a salad in your hand in some ways. Don't they, also have, don't they also have spring rolls? Yeah. Spring rolls are fried. Yeah. Oh, that's so summer rolls are not. Yeah. So it's like the difference between a spring roll and a summer roll is like whether it's fried or not, essentially. And so then naturally the, the winter rolls are frozen. I like that. Yes. <laughs> well, it only stands so, reason, but what are the oh, fall, yeah. what are the fall rolls? I don't would they be <laughs> full of leaves? Maple so, But what I like about Lois Little Eats is I tell people think of it as summer roll. They, they're little, but she takes them to the size of an American burrito. Oh, nice. And like and then she stops it with usually like it's like rice or noodles. You can really choose whatever you want. You, there's a huge amount of meat. There's even like a meat lovers section where it's like, it's mostly meat with a little bit of vegetable. And I'm like, that's how I know she has adopted to the Midwest. She understands. 
at our severe love of meat. Uh, No, it's more like shredded. Oh, like a pulled pork or something. Yeah. So actually, she's got pulled uh, chicken, pulled uh, turkey. um, And this is where uh, Jeff Bridges comes in, my cat. Um, He's a former barn cat, actually. (laughs) Jeff Bridges? Yep. All right. So we got, I mean, that whole story revolved around these summer rolls. Obviously, they're a big deal to you. I, I love some summer rolls. And so, like, I was going to Northern Virginia. So, like, in the D.C. suburbs, there's a bunch of different sections. I was in the Northern Virginia part. That tends to be especially known for um, it, it's considered, uh, amongst other things, um, government-wise, more conservative than Maryland. Mm-hmm. That's, a heck of, that's a low bar. Uh, it's hard to be more Democrat at this moment in time than Maryland. Um and uh, and especially DC too, it's a bit more spread out, um, and it's just suburbs. It's suburbs upon suburbs. There's so many suburbs they even have excerpts, which is the suburbs of suburbs. Oh, yeah. Okay. And I it goes, and the excerpts go all the way out to West Virginia. It's a heck of a thing. Yeah. It's like you can't. It, that was something that I noticed. Like I feel like Illinois has a lot of people, even in the rural areas. Um, especially when I compare it to like, you know, the, the great plains in the West, oh, mid Atlantic, it's like, you can't escape people. You cannot, it's not happening, but well, like, it also means that everything's so expensive that I was like, there's chains everywhere. And, uh, when and you it, say chain, do you, are you talking like Kroger's chain or restaurants, chain restaurants, restaurants? Yes. What kinds uh, of grocery stores? So that's where the grocery stores actually got interesting. I was not impressed by the restaurants, but I love the grocery stores. Um, Harris Teeter is a very common one. They are fine. I would compare them in the St. Louis area to like a Schnucks um, for a good chunk of the rest of the country. They're like a Kroger. I didn't see a lot of Krogers out there, um, which was bizarre to me, but there we go. Um, The chain that I loved the most was Wegmans. That was like... Go. That was a whole experience into itself. I would tell anyone, like, just go to a Wegmans. It's fun. It's actually fun. Um, giant selection. Um, but also they put a lot of emphasis on to dine-in options as well, which I don't know. I like um, they've, they've got burger bars, fajita bars. It varies by location. So, like, if you go to down in Chantilly, Virginia, You've got the burger bar. You've got if you go to Sterling, Virginia, uh, just like thirty minutes north, um, then you've got the fajita bar. There we go. So you don't. I'm sorry, Jenny. You don't go go to the grocery store for food. You go for the experience. Uh, For Wegmans, you go for the experience. But it sounds like that's how you're wired. Oh, very much so. Yes. Um, I I like going through and figuring out like okay what. What are the different kinds of foods here? What are the different qualities that they're bringing up here? Uh, Wegmans, I do admit, uh, focuses on a certain demographic that is not all that different from, like, impossible foods. Um, so you're talking middle, upper class mm-hmm. um, in, uh, in affluent areas. I, I think it's no shock that where I was living, Fairfax County, is one of the richest counties right. in the country. So, yeah, you're going to have that demographic. Literally, I remember when Impossible Foods in 2019 was doing a giant push. Um, and 
like I would see entire freezers stuffed with impossible foods. Did not personally get it myself. I've had the burger. It's what it's whatever. It reminds me actually of. Uh, I, I don't mean this as a as an insult to anyone who loves McDonald's. It reminds me of a McDonald's burger, and I'm like, okay, yeah. It's a uh, it's a situ- it's a setup. Uh, uh, it's not bad. Uh, I try to avoid processed, and so that's really my big thing. Uh, actually, I find it to be overly greasy. No, that's fair. Um, I I would almost. I'd really go for, because I'm not vegan, I don't have the dietary restrictions, I I just assume get something that's meaty just because there's less processing going on. And my nutritionist would probably uh, uh, like it better if I did that. So you have a nutritionist, like a personal consultant, nutritionist? Uh, not at the moment, but I have had one. Mm. And yeah, there we You're go. You're my daughter's dream. She's a registered dietitian. Oh, okay. Yeah. In, in Annapolis, by the way, we have to go to a break. Uh, I will make one observation as I go to a break as I'm mm-hmm. listening to Liz talk about this, Jenny. In my travels, 1,600 miles this week through a lot of rural areas, I've noticed that most restaurants that are dark are not the fast food restaurants. The restaurants that we would pr- perceive to have the higher quality, less processed foods are not so- surviving. 2020. That might be a great discussion when we come back with more Mm -hmm. rural route. Before I let you go, I want to remind you about the genetic component of these animals that we produce. It could also be with soybeans, but in this case, Neogen is identifying the alleles that are present in the cattle. Like we were talking about with the myostatin gene, are the genetics there to give you what you want in terms of growth and performance and eating qualities, particularly from a beef and pork standpoint, all of our boars We know what the eating quality is going to be before we use them. Get more details about shining a light on your genetic future at Neogen.com. We'll be back for the second half of Roll Route right after this. I promise, Diane, we will get to that. Just hang tight. Back in three, two, one. Welcome back to Roll Route, Trent Loose. Almost in Wisconsin. I can see Wisconsin right over there. I'm in northern Illinois. Jenny Swigert, she's right in the middle of Illinois. And Liz is a little farther south, so it's like a stair step. How about that? Uh, Jenny, I saw you kind of uh, verbally, non-verbally, body language agreeing with 2020 destroying the restaurants that have the uh, least processed food. The The sit down family restaurants are dark. So we just completed um, a little over a 3,000 mile trek through west, most of Western U.S. And yeah, that's exactly what we saw as well. Um, we did eat in a restaurant for the first time, and it was probably the largest cultural experience my children have ever had because it was a Japanese steakhouse. Oh, dear. And, and awesome. so it was extremely experience-based and entertaining and just, it was a lot of fun. And I was glad because at first I was like, I'm not sure. And my kids are like, no, mom, we're not going there. And, um, <laughs> and now they want to go back. <laughs> yeah, no, we want to go to Trent's and we want to have mountain oysters and Rocky mountain oysters. Um, which and you we did were both. served at the end of our trip. 
but this was in Wyoming and, but there were very few restaurants. I was surprised that a restaurant was, you know, suggested for supper. I figured we would be eating at home that first mm -hmm. night, um, with, at my friend's home. Um, but yeah, it's really, I wish, so a comparison that you brought up, Trent, is, um, is it Kremerling, Colorado? Yeah, Kremling. Um, Kremling. I, I wish we would have stayed there rather than Steamboat, and we would have spent our money there instead of Steamboat. And we Well, there is we no Japanese big... steakhouse in Kremling, though. No, but I could just <laughs> tell that is, a, that is a fun place. Yeah, it's got character. Yeah, very much so. Um, and there were two restaurants there that were open, but we kept going north to Steamboat. But all the fast food shops are open. Yo, oh, yes, yes. Which makes it difficult because my kids actually are, now that they're getting older, they're anti-McDonald's. Hmm. Um, they're very picky when it comes to what a fast food restaurant we're going to eat at. A lot of times they choose Subway. Hmm. Whether that's the better choice or not, I'm not quite sure. But it is sad and it's it's frightening. Uh, it's very frightening. It is. And I just find it, I did, it just hit me yesterday in my travels that here we have so many people trying to be negative to fast food and, and as Liz talks about, more processed food. And those are the shops that are open. If you're in a hurry. Right. Oh, yeah. 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 So I want to uh, kind of go where Diane is talking about here. And um, food. Well, I should back up. I have scrolling across the bottom. Urban America. Let them burn down. So the other thought beyond um, the restaurant scenario, when I'm driving this week and all my windshield time. And by the way, I've driven 1,600 miles so that I can top Jenny's 3,000 miles before I get home. I'll be at, at 3,051. Anyway. Um, Maybe we went 3,300. <laughs> you decide when I get home. So, I, you know, obviously the news is about 62 people got arrested in Louisville this week on Tuesday night. And that was a good night. It was really calm. It, it went well. That's how it was reported. Uh, we see more chaos in Minneapolis. Chicago continually is a mess. And so my thought was that as much as we've been looking every four years at the divide between rural and urban America, right now we see chaos and destruction in urban America. And I was on six farms in rural Kentucky, Ohio, Indiana, Illinois, and it's just another day. I mean, it's, there's, and, and so the thought is that I think, and in fact, this was a conversation Andrew Henderson and I had this morning on Across the Pond, is it? I think it's important that we don't allow this to be the ultimate divider, and that we have to be the United States of America. And rural and urban needs to find a way to come together. And what I'm getting to with Diana, she mentioned that food is that ultimate connector beyond the cardinals. Um, so, but so absolutely, food should be that one thing that unites all of us. And and we celebrate the cultural differences that we've already talked about here, Liz, but at the mm -hmm. end of the day, we all need to eat. Is, is, do you think that's a fair assessment or? Oh, we do like absolutely all need to eat. Uh, I oh, think. Well, I'm glad we agree on that. <laughs> oh, pretty straightforward. 
uh, setup. Um, but I, I'm over here thinking, yeah, we all need to eat. Uh, I see rural America as, um, I, and I suppose one of the reasons I'm, I'm going to say this is because uh, I'm such an, I'm so into economic development. I, I see it as, um, I see agriculture as a sleeping giant when it comes to more job access for a lot of people as well. I, I think, um, I, I think also there is a growing trend in, uh, in the U.S. cities, I remember seeing like um, for years, especially like this is my uh, this, is, this is my generation where um, I graduated in high school in 2008. And when I first went into college, uh, a good chunk of my dorm mates, like mm-hmm. especially from the Chicago area, like my parents were lucky, but their parents were not. There was a lot of people who uh, really got their butts financially kicked. Uh, in during the recession, and I think it really put for front uh, in the minds of like well the millennial generation is what I am. I uh, what I what is uh, the financially responsible, the financially stable thing, and I think uh, sky high rents have been a major factor um, in making people realize cities are no good. <laughs> Probably, uh, so there's um, it, there's uh, money. There is uh, job opportunities. I, I was over here looking at. Uh, I'm right now looking at jobs in data. So I'm a techie, and so normally that's considered like a, a pretty solid solid thing to get into. I was looking at a New York City remo- uh, remote open job, and it was sixty seven, not sixty seven, sixty five thousand a year. In the middle of Manhattan, I was like, "What the hell? No, <laughs> this is uh, that ain't happening." I'm used to making ninety thousand a year by mm-hmm. comparison, and so it, it normally one does not openly talk about money, but uh, to heck with it. That is what I'm talking about. Like over here, like uh, no, but it helps I, give us a benchmark. Yeah, yeah, you know? um, and I'm over here like, how how dare this person like ask that of a of a data professional in new york city i'm over here that's one thing i'm in madison county illinois uh so like it's slightly more workable uh to say the least but um i think that's kind of like a big factor when people stop and look around well what is more affordable like literally i i remember usa today showing danville illinois being one of the most affordable towns in the country um, we're going to like set aside property taxes in Illinois for just a second there. That's a whole other ballgame. Um, but, uh, I, I think that these are all multiple things that are kind of going on. Like there is more livability, I think in rural America. Anyway, that's what I'm going. I have a thought. Go. Is this all in, I, in the comments that are coming up mm-hmm. when we went out West, I, one of my goals was to see what is really happening. Is reality matching what we're seeing in the media and on social media? And I don't think it is. I mean, we have people who are going on and on and on about people not wearing masks. I tell you what, everyone from Illinois, Missouri, Kansas, Colorado, um, Wyoming, Utah, they, everybody was wearing masks. It wasn't like, and I don't think I saw anyone complain. The only person I've seen complain was a, a lady that 
was um, at a store near me here at home a few weeks ago. Um, but I don't see any, it, it just looks like life is normal, but wearing masks. Oh. You got your pot stirrers always, but that's just. Uh, for what it's go. worth, call me what you want, Liz. Are uh, you a pot stirrer, Trent? <laughs> no, I'm a, I'm a solutions provider. There we go. And I think <laughs> all, I'm going to say 80% of the gas stations that I've walked in this week, because it's been quite a few. Uh, have all had a sign on the door that say mask required. I don't have a mask. Yeah. I've not worn a mask since I left. I'm not convinced that the science is there to say that it's, it's going to help anybody. It's like a, a conformist thing. But I have to tell you, not one single person has said a thing to me about not wearing a mask. And I think that's, that's interesting. I think that's wonderful. We were in a McDonald's and, or I don't remember, a fast food restaurant. And the gentleman at the checkout that took our order, he did not have a mask on. And after he was finished with us, the manager took him aside and said, you need to put your mask on. Um, But that's the only time that I've seen any type of anything near conflict. I, I just don't see the conflict that everyone is talking about and that you're reading about. Uh, maybe I'm not driving and checking out the right places. Uh, yeah, I I think it also doesn't help that a lot of media companies are based in well, largely Los An- Los Angeles and New York City, and so you're going to naturally get a disconnect. I think. Right. Uh, I'm very pro local news. Um, I think the pandemic's a great example of it. When you're looking at the pandemic on a national level, it's absolutely insane, and it's not actually very useful. I think. Jenny, you as a as a mom can uh, probably relate to your situation is not going to be comparable to another mom in like even the Chicago suburbs. Uh, no, it, and it, it varies, it, and that's where like local news, like you have to rely on local news to figure out your your actual situation. I saw something yesterday. Um, I'm trying to think who it was. Oh. Um... Oh, I can't remember. You're going to have time to think about it, Jenny Schweiger. Oh, okay. Go ahead and take your break. Yeah. All right. We have one segment left. We will get to that right away with Liz and Jenny. First, I want to remind you about the stand at Paxton County. I'm amazed this week how many people have actually sent me notes. It must be a big movie week. If you've not watched the stand at Paxton County on Netflix, you need to get it done. Not because yours truly is in it, but because it truly shows. Here's what somebody in Hollywood told me yesterday. The reason that the stand at Paxton County is successful is because it's showing the other side that nobody's ever seen before. There are two sides to every story. And the challenge to owning animals is real. The stand at Paxton County brings that front and center. It's on Netflix. Check it out. We'll be back to the last segment of Roll Route right after this. Welcome back to Roll Route, Trent Loose, alongside George, Jenny, and Liz. I'm so sorry. <laughs> you know, it's, it's it's faint enough that it's just wonderful ambiance. If he was any closer, it would be like, shut that thing up! Um, That is what we all say <laughs> a lot of the day. I'm not quite sure why he's barking so much. It started last night. Um, we had heifers out. Maybe there's heifers out again. I don't know. Yeah. That's um, just a daily occurrence at my house. Well, I so, think so. Yesterday I saw a mom and a teacher say something about let's stop ignoring the headlines we see in the news 
<clears throat> pardon me, and let's look and let's focus on our own headlines. So yesterday's headline for me in this household was the garbage actually got taken out and I didn't have to do it all by myself. <laughs> Spoken as a true mother right there. That, that was, yeah. But I want to get back to kind of, you know, my kid's perspective is very different than what a mom in urban or suburban areas might be. But I think that you're going to be surprised to hear that when all of the, um, like I had to explain racism to our youngest son because he didn't know any different because mm -hmm. he has friends of other ethnic backgrounds. He has, mm -hmm. and we're in a rural area, but we have opened our arms to other races and it's okay. It's, it's not a bad thing. It's a great thing. And he could not understand why one of his best friends could be hurt if they went to a protest or something like that. It, it was hard. I mean, my kids are like, why do people care? It, it's, it's mind boggling almost that you have to explain that mm -hmm. to children. Uh, right you know, I've, I've thought about that. Jenny has a father, <clears throat> three daughters. They don't know the differences until somebody creates the differences. Exactly. It's, it's just another kid. And, exactly. And the media, in my mind, are the worst. Because this week, mm -hmm. and I don't know what happened. I, I, there was a, a gentleman on uh, who committed some cruel murder acts from uh, Arizona. And the media reported that the only Native American person on death row is going to be is set to be put to death tonight. And they, they created the whole division. It's a person who committed a murder. What does it matter if he's Native American, if he's a white guy from Nebraska, a German descent? It doesn't matter. And yet that's the way they build this. Even your your census and everything we do, you, you have to list your your race. Why? Why? What difference does it make? I'm American. Does it matter if I'm a... Caucasian American, Hispanic American, I'm an American. Why do we have to have all of these different segregations, Liz? Uh, well, you know, that's actually, I think, kind of interesting. Uh, there a lot of, oh, this is where I, I, I could get really uh, nerdy here. Because um, I actually, I grew up um, surrounded by white people. It's like really mm -hmm. monotone. Uh, Green County, um, I think maybe has like a couple of not white people, but I, I mean, truly, like, I'm not being dramatic when I say I never had like a actual real, like, I mean, like I've had them as servers, um, as people in like retail, I've never right. really talked to a non-white person at all. Um, just as my background, not until I went to college and I minorly freaked out. I'm going to be honest with both of you. I minorly freaked out when I was like, holy hell, well, how am I going to talk to this black person that was going on in my head? And mostly because like, I'm, I was over here thinking of like, oh, what media has portrayed, right. um, where like, you know, growing up out of St. Louis, outside of St. Louis, like I would hear stuff on the news. Like I would almost always see it was, it was black men, uh, who were the crime perpetrators, I'm over here, like, not sure how to work with that. Because ultimately, like, my my lizard brain was over here, like, person, not the same as what I am used to. And that took a lot of personal um, 
exploration for my part. And I think, I mean, why later on in my life, I was asking myself, why the heck um, am, why, why was I so weird about race? Um, and why also was the area I grew up in so dang white? Um, one of the things I think a lot of people don't realize, um, not, I don't know if Green County was, I do know that Calhoun used to be a, which is right next door. And there's been often like, even in my own family, a lot of like moving back and forth between Calhoun and Green County. Um, Calhoun used to be a sundown County. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with that, uh, phrase sundown laws. I am. Um, so like, and actually it's not that, uh, uncommon in the history of Southern Illinois, uh, where you would have what are called sundown laws. And essentially like the idea was if you were not white, you couldn't live there. Um, it was, uh, it was a thing. (laughs) Um, and I, well, didn't the sundown laws, they basically spoke to at dark, you needed to be in your, it was like a curfew. It pretty much. And well, it also, like, you know, if you live there as a not white person, I mean, you really didn't have the same rights as a, as a right. white person. Right. Like right. ultimately like mm-hmm. that's a other laws for the, for most of our American history have made that point of like, there is a difference between all of these races. So a lot of what we're dealing right now is not so much what we immediately think of. It's not really a reflection of how Jenny's sons see race. It's mm-hmm. how our late, how our past laws, how our past societal structure has viewed race. And we're still dealing with that. It's hard to take like over a century of like making a point of like, that's white, that's black. And then all of a sudden we're supposed to be like, and now we're all together again. Like it's, it, it's a lot to ask, I think, uh, of, of humans. Um, so I like I, uh, even in my own suburb, like literally I have it in, uh, my, um, in my paperwork for the house that I live in, in the suburb I live in, in Godfrey, literally the first agreement that is expired, by the way, um, for my, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, what do you subdivisions have that my, mine is really like casual. Like a homeowners association. There we go. My homeowners okay. association. Sorry. For some reason, I, it's morning. I couldn't think of their actual name, but you have to usually in these subdivisions, you have to sign an agreement. First clause, first clause, non-Caucasians cannot live there, could not live here until 1998. You could not own or live in the subdivision I live in. Now, of course, after the civil rights movement, that was ineffective. But still, my subdivision was designed for only white people to own and live. Now, you could be not white. You could be not Caucasian, as it put it, um, and be a live-in servant. But you could not own the house. It, Wait a minute. Like, We're talking about 1998? It, Yeah. <laughs> now, mind you, how enforceable that would have been after the civil rights movement of course, you could go to court on that. But it was still, uh, before the civil rights movement, this cul-de-sac was founded. And it had the idea of, like, we are going to keep our prices higher by making sure that there are respectable people. By respectable people, the people who founded it at that time, this would have been just after World War II, were thinking, white. Because they're the ones with money. They're the ones who look respectable. 
And I'm not saying that that is, again, it's not like right now, that's just how it was. And so, and you still deal with the weirdness of it all. You still have on the official paperwork, this relic, it's still around. It's like a brand. You don't just cut it out. So that's wrong. And nobody, I don't think anybody can say that that's the way that it should be. But Liz, wouldn't you also agree that there could be a community in St. Louis that would have the first criteria that you must be three generations or more less from an African descent and nobody would say anything about it? I think it would be kind of weird. Um, I also don't know of any community like that. Uh, in St. Louis. I, I'll bet I mean, you there are communities like that, but it won't. nobody would want to talk about that because, well, that's okay. But if we have a community that needs to be all white, then that's a big deal. Well, so this, my, wasn't I, just a, this wasn't just a bunch of people like casually saying like, we're only going to keep right, white people. Right, this was like a legal government backed right. document. And what you're discussing is more of like a social thing, This is which is not enforceable by law. Uh, someone who would be white who would say, like, no, I want to live in this uh, uh, neighborhood. It's not like the state of Missouri is going to come in and say, no, you can't, because they have this special, like, set of documents that say only black people can live here. Like, that's not a thing. They couldn't enforce that legally. Mm-hmm. I mean, you got the money. Like, the person who's telling you to not buy it, I mean, that's, I mean, okay, if they don't want to be good business people, I think that's kind of a weird thing. Uh, Liz, unbelievably, we are in one minute. We have one minute left. I would like you to, uh, in this one minute, give us your opinion on unity. Mm -hmm. Rural, urban, uh, racism, United States of America, how do we get the unity? I think that is very hard, and I think it takes a lot of humility and vulnerability from, I think, both sides on that. I think even I think uh, Jenny's boys are the way that it should be. And it's the way that I think most youth in America feel about it. And I think for us older folks, we and I'm even putting myself as an older folk, we I think it is important for us to acknowledge the the mistakes of our fathers and our grandfathers and that systematic system that has uh, it's created a bit of the mess that we have today. Not any fall of our own. It's just we we have to acknowledge any systematic issues. There we go. Yeah. It's annoying and it's complicated. Uh, I, I struggle with that, though, and now we don't have time to have no, this discussion. Yeah. But, Liz, what, what I struggle with is I never owned a slave. Okay? Yeah. Neither and have yet, I. And, and yet I'm told that because we had slave owners in the past, it's causing problems today. I don't buy that. That was yesterday. We need to move on. I I mean, we have had slave owners. Um, I happen to know of uh, a couple of families personally that used to be slave owners. Mm-hmm. Um, of course, they don't own slaves anymore. They're actually still doing very well because um, slavery did give them uh, an ability to build up assets and their descendants were smart enough to retain a lot of those uh, financial assets. They're actually doing really well. Um, generational wealth is a thing. Um, You're going to have so, to come back to this right now. We're out of time. I yeah. will remind you the first slave owners on the North American continent, though, were the American Indians owning other 
American Indians as slaves. Mm. We have to go on that note. We have successfully journeyed down the road connecting world and urban America. We've certainly stimulated some conversation for a future discussion. All three of us remind you that all roads do lead to a rollout.